Geekish Cast is a member of the Astro Panda Productions Network. Welcome back to Geekish Cast. I'm your host, Jeremy. It's 11 o'clock. Do you know where your tribbles are? Joining me today is a man who has forgotten more about Star Trek than any of us will ever remember. Dr. Trek. (laughs) Well, possibly. (laughs) Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. How's things going, Larry? It's real good. I was just sitting here thinking, nobody knows the triples I've seen. But that that would be I, horrible to say, so I won't I, do it. I love triple jokes. I, I can't I can't get into that enough. Um, well, you know, they started it. Oh, absolutely they did. Those pesky Scotsmen and their triple jokes. Yeah. Well, uh. I meant those pesky jeans and David <laughs> Gerald and those people also. Well, Scotty got to deliver the line, though. That's true. That's yeah. True. Um, oh, Hey, you know what, real quick, because we haven't talked since last year, and um, sure. Star Trek Beyond came out, I believe, after we spoke last. What was your What was your impression of that movie? I Well, I, I uh, okay, so I got to see it at the, at the big premiere down at Comic-Con San Diego outdoors with the, with the huge big PR move and the cast there and the live orchestra playing the soundtrack during the movie, and uh, amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I saw it in uh, Normal Times later. No, I think it's okay. Just in broad strokes, it's my favorite of the Kelvin of the JJ movies. Sure. Even though that was um, that was uh, uh, Justin Lin, you know, in Simon Pegg's production. Um, But again, I just I think what I what I was saying in '08 and '09 that people thought I was just being negative, which you know is I get hooted at for being overly optimistic most of the time. But all I was trying to say was. Good or bad, these are just movies. They are two-hour adventures. If they're not going to flesh this out with some kind of a series or even an animated series, then this is really going to increasingly look like – and I don't mean to say this negatively – increasingly look like a dead end if they're not going to flesh out the universe because it's not enough to say, hey, it's just like everything you always knew already except when it's not. <laughs> you know? Right. So it, it, you know, the limitations come up. So anyway, so I did enjoy it a lot. I loved, loved – I had gone to the preview. Um, they tried to like springboard the promotion in one big swoop mm-hmm. and had that May 20th event. Um, the, the, the Kirk McCoy scene wasn't just a, a good McCoy-Kirk scene. It, it felt a lot like Pike and, and, um, and Boyce. Boyce. Yeah. yeah, in the cage. And then the action scene they showed us. I mean, I just thought everything was handled really well. There was action in it, but the action was there for a reason. It wasn't just, oh, and now let's have guys float between two ships. I mean, you know, it was, you know, parachute off a orbital skydiving off a mining platform just because it's cool. Um, you know, that doesn't really make much sense when you stop and think about it or whatever it was. I thought a lot of that was done much better than this. But then at the same time, um, when all is said and done, it's over. It's exciting. It's brought a ton of new people in, which is what the strength. You know, the the JJ movies have been the best gateway drug Star Trek ever had. Oh but, yeah. Uh, Besides having whales in the story, yes. Yeah, <laughs> but but uh, so I yeah I did enjoy it. But again, when all is said and done at the end, um, aside from just bringing tons of people in the franchise and making you know making money for Paramount, they do better overseas than they do here. This one especially. So. 
but it you know it wasn't a step backwards. I thought it was a step up, and uh, it was great to see big screen action. It was great to see Star Trek. The other thing is, it's great to see Star Trek mainstream uh, in the media. Yes, and that and that gets that treatment so in a big way. So, you know, a Chris Pine guest hosts Saturday Night Live, and of course, there's an obligatory Star Trek skit. You know, so. Uh, yeah, and him doing William Shatner Kirk is especially funny. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yes. I, we, but I mean, but, but those are the those are the ancillary things that spin off of 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 the movie series that sometimes we forget about. But that all plays into it. So now, you know, there was a Star Trek mention out of the blue. Um, you know, once again, when there wasn't anything else to peg it to. Heaven mm-hmm. forbid, it's not coming out of you know Discovery. So. Uh, well, and we'll talk. We'll talk about discovery here in a second. Um, I did have an idea. I was talking to a couple friends. We do a live episode on Thursdays now as well. And Carl Urban is the one thing that really stands out of the new Star Trek that I just i I yeah, want a TV. Yeah, I want a TV series where he is the captain of a medical ship, and every week we have a different guest crew come on, and it'll be like the Love Boat with Carl Urban as Doctor McCoy, your medical captain. <laughs> yes, as your surgeon. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh. and, I want, and I want Carl Urban to do the, oh, what's his name, the the bartender. You know, Isaac the, the Point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Isaac's Point, yeah. Oh, I can see it already. That'll never happen. <laughs> oh, man. So, Larry, uh, you're Portal 47. Um, when we were talking last year, I think you were, I mean, it was going, but you were still kind of in the getting it, it off the ground. Steps. Yeah. yeah it would have been big a year ago yeah no thanks for asking about that no that you know i it's amazing and i i it's i've gotten to the stage now it's growing we have uh about 50 people en route to being able to serve as many as i can because it's the platform that it's built on uh and the fact that there's a lot of features not just the live touches but um, I, I'm starting to realize all the different nuances of what it's meaning to some of the some of the members, some of the portales, <laughs> some of the deep divers that we have. Because um, I say it's like a mini con all year long because there's eight eight pieces every month, and some of it's you know the basic thing is it's a backstage pass like you get nowhere else uh, because conventions are exciting and and magazine interviews and podcasts are cool. Uh, and informative, and heaven knows I've got a finger in all of those, or toe. What's the more better <laughs> phrase there? Hmm. But I, as I said, for years it was like there's so much more to Star Trek. Well, like I said, that Portal 47 is for new fans, bored fans, and fans who have no idea how much more Star Trek is still out there. And for the people who wonder what they might be missing out on or haven't even thought about about the realm – you know, just because the original series and even the the Berman era shows have been out there for a while, and people think, "Oh, um, I just enjoy watching the shows." But as far as finding out about them, uh, not just oh, this piece of trivia, but you know, why was this done? How was this not done? And all those names at the end, what were they really like? What did they really add? Um, there's so much more out there that can enrich your Star Trek experience. Ooh, that sounded really good for the marketing yeah. brochure, didn't it? Yeah, write write that but, down. I should, but but you know what I mean. I mean, and things we don't even think about. And when you're able to talk to anyone who was involved with the shows, creatively, personally, day to day, and see what they did. So again, Portal Forty Seven is is the backstage pass that I'm offering people from my archives, prim- you know, partly, 
from my own memories and then also from the Rolodex of people I knew that worked on the shows. So all kinds of capacities and all the things that make the, sh the, the Star Trek what it is. Um, so, you know, if you feel like you've seen the same, you know, convention guest 15 times or whatever, God bless them. We love the actors, but they're always going to get attention. <laughs> oh, sure. It's beyond that. So, so the portal's going really well. Um, I just launched, actually, I'm in the process of launching a premium level to Portal 47 called Deck One. And uh, that's going to be as opposed to a group that can be 50, 100, 200 people as, we, as they're all being served online and live. Uh, Deck One is just going to be for about 12 people. It's going to be a small group. So it's kind of the, you know, it's kind of like the first class section at the front, and we've got hopefully economy plus coach mm -hmm. for everybody, and we're all going to get there. But some people may have just a little bit more, uh, not an enhanced, but a yeah. more proximate uh, level. So there's a, but it's all Portal Forty Seven. It's all about uh, just getting you more insider access, you know, for more in depth track. Right, like well, I said, like like econ all year long, which I think is a great a great phrase. But what I've realized is people people who cannot get to conventions or have lousy Wi-Fi or what? No, not lousy Wi-Fi. They wouldn't get me. But people who feel like they're more isolated or they can't get out um, are appreciating the portal because it's coming to them, you know. So yeah. anyway, and we some, and on our guest segments, we've had some amazing guests, and I've got I've got more coming. Um, I've got a couple more wrinkles that I hope will be outside the program, but still using some of the pieces that we're that we're using here. Some I'm hoping to get some live events started in LA uh, here within the year um, that'll wrap that'll fold into all of this also. So yeah. well, I like your I like your use of the airplane analogy because there does come a point. I mean, with the internet and your you know telephones and whatnot, you can service a lot of people with this. But there does come a point, I'm sure, where you're at top mass. This is all the people you can fit. And having a couple different tiers, I'm sure, allows allows you to stratify that a little bit. And uh, right. I assume that the um, what would be your first class passengers get complimentary Romulan ale. <laughs> yes, by the caseload. Yeah. Yeah. Which I hear is still illegal, but we don't need to get into that. We don't need to get into that. No, when you're when you're when you're not airborne, when you're when you're transporter born, all those things fall away. Exactly. Uh, yeah, but no, it's, I'm really excited. The, the hardest thing about Portal Forty Seven, uh, you know, I'm not a salesman, mm -hmm. uh, but I do get excited about what I'm doing. And you know, I, I said for years I was going. There's got to be something more we can do to get more Star Trek out to more people in a different way. And and I didn't know. I mean, I you know the 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 old world kind of blew up when everything went digital and online, and and it was a challenge. And you know, I I mark it to 2005, not just when Enterprise was canceled, but when the Decipher and the official fan club blew up, and we didn't have Communicator anymore, and there was no active production of Star Trek, and 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 the Viacom divorce happened, and nobody who was working in the franchise knew each other, and it was really frustrating. And I really thought about what I'm going to do with my life. And right. And I, I mean, just me, just my little tiny personal corner here of things. And I thought, should I, you know, go sell shoes or something? Because <laughs> my, other, you know, all my other world, like news, uh, my, I've been a journalist, trained journalist. Well, that was falling apart. Dead Tree Media wasn't there, and mm -hmm. all the internet knew was, hey, can you do this for us? Can you do it five minutes ago? We don't care if it's spelled right, and oh, uh, it's for free because it's good promotion for you. Yeah, I mean, that was just yeah. ridiculous, right? Here's your exposure dollars. Write us a story. Right. Yeah. <laughs> God. But I had people say, 
like, don't you dare. You've got to find a way to, to take all that you have and that you can share with, with fandom and still have it be a viable business. And um, and then I said, fine, what is that? Oh, I don't know. We're still inventing the manual. <laughs> Come yeah. get back some fun. You know, because the, the late aughts were really fr- – but thankfully, I've things have settled down. I've found um, a, a creative entrepreneur coach that's helped me put this together and – and knew all that you know took my situation and said, well, here's the tools and and it's true like the things I use free conference call and I there have been things that have evolved there just in the last year with uh, being able to be online and be uh, have visuals and then have webcam but it's it's amazing that it's low cost it's it's uh, until I get huge it's low cost which I you know it makes it be a value to, to fans. And then we can keep recording. So that's and that's part of the package, you know, yeah. is that you recording of not just uh, of, of our roundtables where they talk to me and pepper me with questions about past and and, and the current events, but uh, of Trek, but also our guest. And when our guest brings opens up their archive of photos, which is the other cool thing, um, all the material that the guests bring just from their personal, you know, scrapbooks more or less, and people things that people have never seen before. So. Uh, but yeah, that's one thing. It's like I couldn't, as much as I wish I was doing this ten years ago, I couldn't have been doing it ten years ago because well, te- didn't, technology didn't exist. Right, right. Yeah. So that's what's exciting about all of this. So about the time I start to kick myself that I wish I had done this sooner, um, it's like, oh, shut up and just <laughs> and just get on with it and uh, and just see what you just keep exploring what we can do. And and I like I said, I hope it doesn't. I hope it, hope things keep evolving. Yeah. And that's exciting. But I'm I'm just thrilled when we get through something and I find a guest and we and we all stumble into something together at the same time and it's preserved because it's on the recordings oh, that's amazing and, and people say oh my god yeah well I, you know as you were speaking I was th- sitting here thinking about that there was a time that they even fired the entire crew that was working on Star Trek.com and the website wasn't really getting updated did they really if I remember right Larry I might be wrong but if I remember right there was a period of time where like Viacom or somebody like got rid of everybody Jeremy. working on the website and then had other people fill in. I'm pulling your leg, Jeremy. I was there. Oh, I, that, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, okay. Hold on. You know what? Now December, that I think about it, <laughs> I wonder where I heard that. <laughs> December. Oh, no. We're coming up on the 10 year anniversary of that. Back when the original Star Trek from 90.com from 96 up until 2007, and all the that was part of the fracturing. Of, uh, and the reinvention of everything corporate with Star Trek when it was not, you know, when the, the Viacom divorce happened and arms of CBS and the interactive arm had no idea that consumer products licensing had contracts built with the website being there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there was just no communication in between. But the biggest thing was they didn't just lay people off, they wiped out the whole the thing. Yes. And then didn't have a plan for doing it. So Star Trek.com sat there for four years or so. With that same page, the December 2007 front page, which you know the, the writer's strike we just aver- averted, yeah. that was going on. We, the last big story that we worked on was going over to the – and I've got tons of photos from that, which which now are in my archives. Um, of the the you know the uh, they were having theme pickets, and one of them was the Star Trek supports the WGA, and it was the big reunion of Star Trek writers and some even some actors and. Uh, out in front of the Paramount gates, and we went to cover it. And I, since I have a story credit, I and I was an associate member of the WG. I, I walked the picket line when I was interviewing people and taking pictures. So um, that's very much set in my mind. That was the last I, I got to join a long in and out history. But the last year and a half, 
uh, of the of the way it was existing at the time. I was the first managing editor of when they were using that terminology of Star Trek dot com in ninety six. I, I didn't. And know I was that. the first. Okay. I was the first. Well, I went in one day a week. They had uh, when it was Mark Wade was the producer and Guy Vardaman was the uh, was the editor, and they had one other person, and then they had interns, and that was all the budget they had. And I came in once a week on Friday as the managing editor, quote unquote, and edited all the press releases and all the news stories for the next week or two <laughs> on Fridays. Um, so yeah, and then I was the first chat guest when that was a, when that was a thing. Oh, okay. But all that, all those archives are well, they're they're supposedly archived in one particular place, but most of that's gone because when they re when they came back under licensing's wing under consumer products. It had that huge – it had sat for four years, and it, they just decided that it, it's sad, and maybe something can eventually be done with it, you know, like faded slides and a one-step Photoshop edit maybe later. But um, they just decided it was going to be so much to, to fix all the links that they just started from scratch and rebuilt the – they got the databases mm -hmm. and started with that. But all the news stories, uh, unfortunately, over the years and all the chat transcripts and all of that audio – uh, they they didn't they they're sitting there, but they didn't go in it because it would have been so much money to repair them. And they and once again they're doing this on a surprisingly thin budget. So right, they're doing a lot. Of good well, I was gonna, I was going to say you know when it comes to thin budgets, I just hire a guy to write uh, weekly articles for me. So I, I've seen what a thin budget looks like because I'm I'm paying somebody one right now. <laughs> <laughs> but at least you're paying them something, and that's better oh than, yeah better where the internet was and can be at times cool. taking advantage of people. You know, Larry, I have a lot of uh, independent comic book creators that come on here, and every one of the writers who I've had on who, um, you know, who who seems to be above board and not just full of BS like some writers can be, mm -hmm. their their main thing is pay the people who are working with slash for you. If you hire a letterer, pay them. Do not expect this to get done for free. They have families too, so that's exactly I, yeah. I try yeah. to tackle everything from that <laughs> from that standpoint. Even if it's ten bucks or whatever it is, here's what I can give you. Can you do anything with this budget? You know, right? Yeah. Well, again, that's where I was ten years ago because I I had had years and I still do. I don't mean to make turn Star Trek into money, but no, it it, it comes down to that choice of. Um, you know, when you've got a day job and you're doing it on the side as a, your hobby, that's wonderful. But if you got to the point where you, you're bringing professional training, when you have a career in journalism, you have a career in entertainment, you know, training, and you're bringing all, and you're, and then you're a fan, and you brought, and that's what I always kind of credit my success to. Now that I think back years later, but then, it, like I said, I was like, am I going to go, you know, um, am I going to go lay pipe somewhere or something? I, it's, it's like, is it time to change? And thank. People said no. Although it's just been the last few years here that um, it's 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 gotten there. But then also things have grown to the point now. Portal Forty Seven is getting back to where I just brought on a, a virtual assistant who's working just five hours a, a month for me. But that's a sign, you know. Mm -hmm. And again, absolutely, it's, it's um, paying somebody fairly. It's getting, you know, it's the thing of can you leverage that time saved into doing. It's when you get to that point. Yep. And then hopefully down the line even more so. Uh, and I, I'm that way at conventions. I said last year at Vegas would be my last year without an assistant of some kind <laughs> helping me, picking up my pieces. Because there's just too many things dropped along the way that you have no idea where you 
dropped your, you know, insert um, insert metaphor for cell phone here or something. Right. Uh, you know, where did that go along the way? Oh, I didn't get back to them. Um, so yeah, so no, I tell I, and appreciate you saying that. And hopefully, maybe we're growing out of that era when that that old gag about oh, it's good promotion for you. That works once when you're 18 or yep. 20 or 22, and after that, come on, guys. Oh no, and that's you know, and look, there is a thing. If you're an artist, there are things you are occasionally going to have to do for free, but don't do it too often. Value your own time, and after you've done it a couple times, start charging people. You as an artist have a valuable contribution to make. Right. That's that is my my push along right there. You know, um, it's just it's one I hang up on because it's it's like I have been tempted to like go and put an ad out and like uh. You know, looking for a, a writer to write a top ten list, uh, we'll pay you a dollar and a ball of twine. That's right, <laughs> free twine. <laughs> but um, well, and and like with the Con of Wrath, um, we have donors with perks that are kind of in a Indiegogo, you know, crowdfunding kind mm-hmm. of situation. And then I have upper level uh, producer slots that are that are there that have, that are their own thing. But um, I've had volunteer um, it's, at the very least. Uh, especially here in LA, you see it a lot for like credit and and lunch, you know, yep. <laughs> like working an indie crew or something, and and then oh look, it's with pay, or you at least do something. Yeah. And there is a time when, and there are times when you can basically barter, or you can do a win-win. Um, you know, people if people are both getting something out of it, then that's a, that's a fine situation too, and maybe both sides are helping. But I've had probably. Uh, 15 to 20 volunteer transcribers who have transcribed our sit-down interviews, which saved, you know, our little micro budget on the Con of Wrath, my documentary. Oh yeah. Uh, well, you know, and just had several people step up, and I just, I just, you know, thank God for them. They're thr- and they get a screen credit. I, I say that they're they're thrilled to be in there. So on to their to their they're doing some labor for me. Hopefully not too much, but on the other hand, they're getting a screen credit without making a you know an actual cash donation. So. Um, which no. are pretty, which which, which, are pretty, which has a value, which yeah. has a value. Yeah. I was gonna say, and it starts on the very low, you know, from twenty dollars up. I'm promising a screen credit. So, right. um, well, you know, and on that note, let's go ahead and let's talk a little bit uh, about the Con of Wrath. Um, so, how long have you been working on this, and what's the what's the general? If people haven't heard of it, what's your what's the general info behind it? Forty seven years <laughs> we've been working on the Con of Wrath. <laughs> <laughs> No, Rod Roddenberry just looked at me and said, just don't take seven years, because that's how long Trek Nation took to finally see the light of day. Um, no, I've been working on it since 2011, always with the mind that it would be an easygoing – because I, I didn't go into it fully funded. For one thing, it was a learning experience for me. I wanted to get out of – and I've said this before. I wanted to get out of just being a word guy mm-hmm. and get into media, and I'd had two or three times when that started to blossom, including doing videos – for the uh, Star Trek, the original Star Trek, the tour, um, before it was resold and split up and had new owners and all that. Um, but when that light bulb moment came along, when I realized this crazy moment that should be an infamous moment in Star Trek fandom and Star Trek live events happened in '82, and I was there just by accident as a kid, and uh, here, twenty something years, like twenty five years later. Um, Realized that uh, I had stumbled into somebody who had, had worked at the event, who told me how compact it would be to talk to almost to ninety percent of the rest of the original gang that had organized it, and then how I knew with all the uh, the, the 
the Star Trek faces like Walter and George and Nichelle and Harv Bennett. Um, they were still around and would talk to me here in L.A. I just realized how very producible it was and how I could finally break out of just being a word guy and finally get on with what I knew I could do in media. But the, the downside was I, I, I didn't know the production. Content was my thing. And I very quickly had friends in the industry that were skilled people, cameraman, editor. Uh, the back end, the production and distribution would be where I had the learning curve, but I knew that could happen later. And the important thing was just to get started, which was good because the first two people I talked to that I said, if, if they don't talk, it won't happen, were Walter, Walter Koenig, and Harv Bennett. And I talked to Harv over Memorial Day weekend in 2011. And then his health went downhill, you know, at, right after that. And he actually died the same week that Leonard did two years ago. That's right. So, I forgot yeah. about that. So you know, uh, we've already got some memorial, <laughs> some memorial mementos to make on on an opening title card there with him, and maybe some more by the time we're there. But um, I always knew it would be laid back because we didn't go into it like a fully like I'm so thrilled the way Adam Nimoy's been able to do his doc and Ira and Adam are working together on the DS9 one now. Julie Nimoy Nimoy's doing hers. Uh, they're traditionally fully funded when let's get in and shoot this, edit it, and get it out You know, in nine months, a year's time, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, even though Ira's been dreaming of his DS9 documentary for years. He told me about it four, five, six years ago. This has not been that case, but I also had met Roger Nygaard, who was one of the producers on um, – one of the three creators on the two Trekkie documentaries. He had done his own. He's a – editor by day in fact he's working on a show right now and i'm trying to think what it is it's one of the hit shows that that we watch um he uh, kind of exposed me to this whole formula of just doing a little bit at a time over a few years just as you can work it in on your own you know not a big crew just you and your camera or you and your camera and your camera guy you know running sound and basic sound and uh, that's what we've done with some key donations from people along the way Including my friend Rusty, who works at United and donated his buddy Miles um, for for Neil Halford, or my friend in DP, to to, to fly United um, when we'd go back to Houston because we've been in Houston. Houston was where it took place, and we've been back there probably eight or nine times over the years. But so we're wrapping it up. My my bottom line here is that uh, after being in that mode for several years, and the year that my son got married, we moved. Star Trek Continues came out and swallowed up my life playing McCoy twice. Uh, <laughs> 2013 was the year that everything – I got nothing done on the documentary, which was on the, one of the reasons why I pulled back from doing that. Um, and then we got back on track again. And so this year was is our, is our wrapping up year, hopefully by the end of the year. Um, and we're working on a sample now and to show to show it uh, places. So I'm going to be doing a little more this summer at the cons I'm at, and uh, you'll be hearing more about that. And and hopefully, knock wood, without predicting too much, we'll be able to wrap it up wrap it up this year. Well, that's awesome. Sounds like you you're definitely on a streak with it right now. So, yep, we're there. We are cranking, yeah. and I've had you know. And the good thing is I've had composers say they want to. I mean the. The thing about this, we're just talking about paying money. I want to do that, but it is a micro budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're looking. We're we're now. I'm at the stage where now we can use some money, but it's still going to be very modest. And uh, and I've had people, uh, promoters, uh, I say composers, other people who want to help uh, do that. I've got to explore. You know, and again, like Portal Forty Seven, the the platforms and the options available to you. 
I do want to have some, you know, festivals are one thing and some live screenings and some screenings in the cities in Houston for sure, back home in Oklahoma City. An L.A. Hollywood thing is going to happen at some point, and some of the some of the conventions that have uh, screening capacity. You know, I'm I'm just going to see what that is. But right now, we just want to get the damn thing done, and I say that in love. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was a very loving damn thing. Well, you know. Uh, because I have such good, you know, and I want it to be more than just a Star Trek documentary. I want it to be have a lot of human, human nature too. About this crazy meltdown situation that happened, tied in with the biggest, you know, ten years into early Star Trek conventions, ten years after the first New York one, um, the landscape had become so common, but still so unusual that there were colorful characters everywhere, and these guys dream big in Houston. They're going to do the big. They're going to do a, basically an arena rock show for Star Trek. Uh, and get the entire cast of Wrath of Khan involved with Har Bennett, except that it does not quite go according to plan. And that's the – it's kind of a riches to rags to riches Phoenix Rising story with a lot of a lot of love and a lot of heart and just some wacky history not to let it fade away. And um, and even – and then some mystery, not, not full-on 60 minutes, but um, – you know, there is a little bit of mystery of why it happened, and that's something that's evolved in the years, uh, the years since. The guy at the middle of it all went from being totally disappeared, even to his friends, to coming out, to thinking I was a scumbag coming in to stir things up with this chapter in their lives, to totally being on board with us. Then he nearly lost his life to health issues, and then we finally got him on camera um, last October. So that's a bummer so ride. Yeah, and there's and there, but there's another case where if we just run through this in a year, um, that wouldn't have been part of it. Oh yeah, as well as as well as having George Takei and Nichelle Nichols and uh, Walter and Harv Bennett and Wendy Doohan, Jimmy's widow, and Laura Banks, who was the blonde cons babe, who had the line as opposed to the one that didn't have a line. Who was there? By basically everybody in so far has been there either as a as a guest or a you know, attendee Larry, or a dealer. Larry, this is going to be a stupid question, and it, it's going to sound like I'm pulling your leg, but it's actually a serious question. Did anybody ever track down the con baby? <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? In the in the edit from the Wrath of Con, there was actually a baby con. Oh, oh. I don't know. We'd have to get to, we'd have to somehow pull the the, the call sheets. Yeah. See that? That I is don't think that so, is such a that is such a weird thing to ask about. But for me, like as a fan, that'd be like the one thing I'd be like, "Hey, whatever happened to this kid?" You know, the deleted con baby. Yeah. You know what's funny though is we do know who the Borg baby was. Remember in, in uh, yeah. who when they pull the cubicle out and they see the baby there? Yeah, that was the infant uh, son of one of the uh, post producers. I can't think of her name right off the top of my head, but that's recorded. <laughs> somewhere yeah, that's, that's a lot of wild. that but that's and that's the kind of stuff that you know people that know me that's the kind of stuff i as well as, as things go by i would try to stick away you know record and yeah put that with that well and it's, i think <laughs> we we both approach it from kind of a a specific nerdy fandom it's mm-hmm. just like how how weird you know how weird and specific a detail can i find about this Jeremy, the 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 sophisticated term for this is a completist. Oh yes, I'm sorry, you are correct. <laughs> since we're in since we're in the Big Bang Theory uh, generation where the geeks won, we can use all the highfalutin justifiable right. words. Here. We don't have to say geek and nerd, <laughs> so we can say, oh, they're 
Those Star Trek fans are such completists. Yeah, you you are <laughs> correct. Years ago, and I mean, I was like 21 at the time, so we're talking 23, 24 years ago. I'm sitting at a bar where me and a buddy of mine play darts, and there's a couple guys that are in their 50s, and one of them said something about the Lone Ranger, and I looked at him, and I laughed. I said, you old guys don't know nothing about the Lone Ranger. And they, of course, scoffed, because what 22-year-old kid would know anything about the Lone Ranger? And the guy goes, I'll bet you your bar tab and 50 bucks, I can stump you with one question. I go, what do you got? He goes, what was the name of the gang that ambushed the Lone Ranger and his brother and, and their group of rangers? It was the Butch Cavendish gang. So he paid my bar tab and gave me 50 bucks. So I've been like this my entire life. <laughs> oh, okay. That yeah. wasn't the way I was exp- I thought you, he was going to stump you. But nope. Good. That's just as uh, long as you got the answer in there, yeah. Yeah, I um, I've I've always been like this about weird little stuff, and I know more about old television than somebody my age should necessarily. Well, you're living the dream because what there's like 47 channels now. It seems oh. like out there that are showing old. You know, old- it, I, I brought this up with um, uh, my the band that does my theme music for the show. It's called Reign of Zayas. They are a uh, Planet of the Apes rock band. Um, <laughs> so Old Planet of Zeus, that name? I yeah, exactly. So, but we were talking the other day. Oh, I guess probably about six months ago. 1966 might have been the best year in television ever. You had Star Trek, Batman, and the Monkees all premiered that year. Well, now there there are some. I mean, up until about five or ten years ago. I might have agreed with you, but there might be some that would say we're kind of in a peak TV golden era now. The trouble with now is that there's so much good TV on, you can't watch it all. That's Even it. Even DVRing, you could you could start binge watching now and go for 20 years and not catch everything that's worth watching. Now. That's so. the thing. But there, there's a style to classic television that yes. yeah, that's it's different now. What you get now are 15 hour movies <clears throat> on television. I, I'm not supposed to say this, but you know Vic Mignogna that does continues. It's a good yeah. friend of mine. Uh, that's the next thing. We're going to do uh, Star Trek continued. We're going to do The Monkees continued and do Batman. Oh, th- those are all fantastic ideas. I actually interviewed Vic. I, yeah. I'm, Vic I'm totally and... kidding. I'm totally <laughs> kidding. Well, I actually you interviewed. Everyone's going to say, Larry says you're doing yeah. Batman Monkees. Well, I interviewed Vic and Todd and Chuck from Star Trek Continues last year. And um, I, I did give Chuck a hard time. I was like, so why why did you guys get Larry fired so you could play McCoy? So. <laughs> But anyhow, I digress a little bit. Um, I do want to bring up real quick, we had a couple things to get to here as we run down on time, but I did pick up your Stellar Cartography book. Oh, excellent. And it is a fantastic book of maps. Um, matter of fact, if anybody wants to buy it right now, if you go to tinyurl.com slash trekmaps, Larry sells a book, and uh, Geekish Cast gets a little bit of money from Amazon. Um, but tell me a little bit about what went into making that book. Wow. The making of the book, aside from like, well, two answers. One mm-hmm. was uh, in November, December of, well, the summer of 2012, uh, my friend John Van Sitters at CBS Consumer Products said, hey, we've got this idea for this star map set. Um, don't know, Not sure when it's going to fall, but the idea is to take the established map database that um, you know, Mike Akuta started with the quadrant system and the basic empire layouts, and then Jeff Mandel, between working on Enterprise and at the end of Voyager, um, flushed out in the 2002 book, you know, Star Trek uh, Star Charts, and but do it from the standpoint of alien perspectives and historic perspectives, and it's maps 
that are charts because people were frustrated. You know, you look online and you see all the people that took the pullouts. There was no one big chart. Right. <laughs> uh, so th that would answer that. There'd be big maps that fold out, but there'd also be a guidebook. And I said, hell yes, I'm there. So uh, so that came together in basically December and then January. Uh, you know, the good news is we're going to do this wonderful out of the box throwback to when you were a kid and the blueprints came out of the pouch and all that. Oh kind yeah. Of stuff. Uh, the good news is this credible project. The bad news is you've got three months to do it. <laughs> well, as long as there was no out. pressure or anything. No pressure, but yeah. you know that's the same battle plan as the original companion for next gen. It was like, hi, you've got three. You want to do this? Great. Okay, five seasons from scratch. Uh, you've got three months. You know, which stretched which stretched to six. It's like, why do I always get these? Yeah. But you don't, you know, you that's that's the least your worries. Just make it as good as you could do. And and of course, we had three great um, artists there: Allie Reese and Ian Fullwood, and then Jeff did uh, Map Ten at the end, what I call the National Geographic map, uh, the kitchen sink map at the back, and um, uh, it was just it, in some ways it, and I did it based on canon. Our, our artists got off on the wrong track because they were doing uh, Star Trek Online things, but oh, we wanted, yeah. wanted to peg it to right before. And, and at the time, we were still dealing with you know the, the prime aspects of the J.J. movies with uh, Romulus blowing up. So we pegged it to that, but as it had just happened. So we put it to, what, 2387, I think, right when Romulus had blown up. But the, since it was historical maps... We only had to deal with that in a, in a side way. But my big challenge was I thought that everything had been fleshed out in Jeff's book up until first year of – second year of Enterprise. So my initial challenge was to update for you know, the Zindi year and the, la and the cool last year of Enterprise and the prime aspects of, of uh, the J.J. movies basically from 2009. Right. And, um, and then also tackle the things that were a puzzle. And the two biggest things in my mind were – how the and it was part of the updating was how the hell when you get down look at the specs of it the Delphic Expanse even though it supposedly dissipated how the hell did it exist in the first place the way they described it and the other big challenge to me was that no one had tackled nobody in the show the writers not even like Mike and Doug and all the guys no one had tackled how what the choreography of the Dominion War was and I'd had some theories in my head that I'd kind of worked out over the years you know the ten years since. And um, so that's that was my 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 most proudest bit of that is uh, the Dominion War making sense and taking some interpretations and having some meta historical metaphors, from, especially from World War Two, uh, translating it into maps. And of course, the the bottom line of all this is it's a it's a the 24th century. What's Kirk's line and Spock talking about Khan and his two dimensional thinking? It's mm -hmm. Like you're talking about space and you're outputting these on paper. Well, the I don't. It, it kind of got lost a little bit, but the whole point of that was those are the ten most requested maps requested by visitors to Memory Alpha's public section. That was. I, it, it really is beautiful. I'd kind of like to have them framed. I think and put so up. So there's somewhere. the Klingon map, the Romulan, the Cardassian historical, the ancient Vulcan, and then there's some. You know, a Romulan War era just after Archer's time, and um, so yeah. And then the guidebook. Looks deceptively skinny and small, but I would challenge you, especially with some of the things I've mentioned here. Um, but the other thing is like connecting dots. People, we get all into looking at the shows by episode, 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 or arc, or character. You know, but if you take a random things here, 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 whether the writers were just trying to be cute or whether they actually intended to connect some dots of their own, 
to step back and do this. And some of us had been doing this for years. That's what I do with my column in the magazine. And you know, everything I do, Portal 47, everything that I do is about stepping back and connecting dots. Sometimes it's only canon. Sometimes it's the real world business end of things with Star Trek. But that guidebook in stellar cartography was a way to connect dots in a big picture way with the planets and the cultures and the locations and, you know, fix the glitches. And I, I corrected some errors that were, you know, because these are all done under time constraints. It's a, it's an insane amount of detail, even for, you know, hopeless anal geeks. And um, you can't help but make mistakes. And there are some – there's more omissions than mistakes. I had some I had some digital brain dropouts where I would say 2264 instead of 2364 or something like that. Uh, and people pointed those out. So it's like those are hopefully easy to fix. It's, oh, my God, we did a brain fart and no one caught it past me. You know, we're like we're one digit off. Um, there's only maybe a half dozen of those no. through, through all the millions of times there are dates and numbers and places in this thing. But but the the chapters in the book are a match each map, and sometimes they're rather I don't say simplistic. Sometimes they're kind of obvious, but I want to say every one of them I connected dots where I don't know that most of fandom had connected the dots before. Even even apart from the Dominion War chapter and and all that. So anyway, I'm just I'm really really proud of it. I wish we could have done you know more. Obviously, mm-hmm. some parts we had to cut some things for length for the book. I just sat down and wrote, and then I went back and cut. And Paula Block, editor writer extraordinaire, when I was when we had three months to do this and sneaked and took four, she did a polished draft on the book for me. But just because I had was cranking out so much pure fact. Um, and I, I got some done, but just in the interest of time, helped me make one more edit pass through it at the end. So I'll say a shout out to her. But um, but yeah, it's it really is the sum up of of uh, what we have on film, and that's what it was meant to be. People are upset because it doesn't have STO empires in it. That was not the that wasn't the point. And maybe we can come back and do something like that again. The test of time will be is that the STO system, you know. Um, is is considered canon the next time anybody with a TV with the keys to the TV car right for Trek uh, is allowed to go into the future what they'll what that'll be so well it's we'll, it's it's like the animated series that it was canon wasn't canon was canon is canon again <laughs> yeah yeah now have to finesse it yep exactly um, you know we gotta we gotta start wrapping up here help me oh. out with one thing here though. Uh, very clearly, uh, Spock states in the original series that Vulcan has no moons. Right. In uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture, Vulcan very clearly has satellites of some kind. Mm-hmm. Do, do Vulcans just not call them moons? Well, that was that's way before I got into this. <laughs> no, no, no. When you only had 79 episodes, you know, and no bloody A, B, C, or D to worry mm-hmm. about. Um, no, fandom, especially the Vulcan... The women who began Star Trek fandom, the zine writers, uh, the fanzine, the fan fiction writers um, and zine publishers, uh, had already – Gene Laura, I want to say. But they'd already gotten to talking about those as being um, Vulcan's uh, tw- uh, like sister planets, twin planets. So no, they're technically not moons because they didn't orbit Vulcan itself, but they were twin planets. And if you look at the ancient – and that's – people have assigned uh, – uh, lore and mythology to them and they've had names not mentioned on screen that was another thing is you know canon to me is 
we try to go film, but there's errors and there's huge gaps. And oh, yeah. people have, you know, and then the cre- there's to me, Canon is a spectrum. And I will defend the purity as much as I can, but the reality is we've got 50 years to deal with. And to me, there's a spectrum of what's on film, what the creators have said off camera or, you know, in a, in a published, in a major mainstream published thing, what the designers and creators have done. And then, you know, then what has been the, what have been the fan theories that stood the test of time, whether they were published or not mainstream or whatever. And there's a, there's a spectrum to that. And, that's where that falls. That's kind of like the third tier. But again, until somebody says something on camera, we don't have that. And a lot of times the writers have gone to those sources when they needed a factoid here or there. Mm-hmm. So I, I dive back into using – and then there's some competing systems. So what's emerged over the years from the, the genesis – that Vulcan was one thing where there was no no shortage and where a lot of it was online. And in my three months, I could go and refresh myself. Because uh, I knew it was there, I just wasn't up with the with the details. So, all that you see on the ancient Vulcan map, and uh, what's in the chapter on the ancient Vulcan map, comes from from that. So yes, you are right, sir. You are correct, sir. Yeah, um, it just it's one of those yeah. things I'm always curious about. It, it's, very, because because that's like those classic lines in the original series, you know, like Vulcans never bluff, and Vulcan has no moon, and and you know your Starfleet does not you know allow. Uh, recognize women captains or whatever right uh the what your world of starfleet doesn't so we interpret that as she's crazy she's talking about kirk and that there, there were women captains um you know how you finesse those things and the bit about vulcan has no moon that's totally it so early on the answer was those aren't moons they're twin planets yeah well we, yeah they're, <laughs> they're we, trojan we, planets we all have those things that we do it's like i have over the last five years developed the theory that in Starfleet, you can wear pants and a tunic or a dress, and, and it's not gender. It's whatever you feel comfortable wearing. And so that means, in my head, even in the TOS era, we had a dude wearing a skirt somewhere. You know, and there you go. A scant? <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, you had more than a scant opportunity. To exactly, exactly. So, um, Larry, I'm going to ask you one question, and then we got to start wrapping up, because I, yeah. I heard my wife uh, drop a glass out there. Probably needs my help. <laughs> <laughs> Um, That's so, your signal. That's your safe. Exactly. Sound. That is. So, um, all right. So, Discovery. Things are looking, I, I don't want to say rocky, but I do want to say that the natives are getting a little restless. So, Mike. I noticed that. Huh? Yeah. Um, so, why why does CBS hate us and Star Trek? Okay. I'm just amused. <laughs> I, I understand pure human frustration. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm frustrated. I know everybody's frustrated. I know that everybody working on Discovery is frustrated, although if they're in the moment of creation, uh, you're you're consumed by that. You're not so much looking at yourself. I, I am sure that the executives in charge, <laughs> I'm sure that the stockholders and the accountants at CBS are frustrated because All Access was supposed to launch with this as the flagship beacon, you know, to draw mm-hmm. subscribers. So I don't quite think Christine Baranski's Good Wife spinoff is probably been as huge a magnet for subscribers although it's i'm sure it's done something um so you know it's like everybody of course is frustrated delays how cbs could have hated star trek and and themselves actually self-loathed is if they had even back when brian was still hands-on brian photosan if they had said nope we said january get it out the door in january that would have been hating star trek 
nope, we've made one allowance already. We said May. Damn it, make it May. Get it out the door. You're all fired, and this is shut down. Well, they were wise enough not to do that. It's there, There's some teeth gritting. It's just – you know, if you stop and think about it, every time Star Trek has started up or restarted up, it's been an uphill battle because it's a – it's an incredibly complicated thing if you're going to do it right or if you're trying to do it right. Uh, you know, and sometimes if you're new to the process, you don't realize this thing called <laughs> how much power and responsibility and complexity is in this thing called Star Trek if you're going to do it right. And and it's not just our little pool of millions of worldwide fans. Again, there's a lot of money writing on this and prestige and probably people's jobs. Oh yeah. So they're wanting to make sure it's right. It's frustrating as hell. I mean, I I just roll my eyes though. But it's fandom. I mean, on one hand, you can't blame them. And we live in an ADD world. We live in a twenty four seven media world. Like my God, what if he'd had social media in the months before Next Generation? It was bad enough that you had the loud ten percent yelling in, in like you know by mail on paper zine columns, you know, screaming about how dare you do a Star Trek without Kirk Spock and McCoy. You know, and then and then the uh, no prequels for Enterprise. And what do you mean it's not on a ship? What do you mean they're not going to go anywhere on DS9? And what do you mean they're going to the Delta Quadrant? We won't see Klingons. Uh, you know, ever there's always been the Ballyhoo before every series like that. Nothing has ever been. This is the first time we've been in social media crazy time. Mm-hmm. So again, it feels like it's a ton of that. I just roll my eyes when I see some of the stuff on it. Now, all again, all of this before we've even seen a scrap of film. Which is the other frustrating thing. People are saying, my God, can't you, can't you give us a sneak peek trailer by now? And I know that's frustrating, but they're taking their time. They're still honing the visual effects. On one hand, it's, it's a cross between spoilering. And again, this isn't just going to be broadcast for ratings. This is money for subscriptions. So spoilering and adhering to a uh, – you know, the delays have also thrown the promotions people. They've had to – you know, a stretch. <laughs> oh yeah, here, basically. But uh, at least they may stretch in through Comic Con San Diego, which I know they look at as probably the key, the biggest, the big, the big Kahuna of all the promotional, even more so than say Trek Vegas, because that's the not only the most eyeballs, but the world's genre media is there, mainstream entertainment, you know, niche media, and. I have to say there's probably a little bit of competitiveness there. They want to make Paramount and the Star Trek franchise on the same par as all the Marvel and DC and Star Wars that were being drowned and saturated in. Yes. And they want to be on that same platform too. So I'm sure there will be a lot of things geared to um, that again. But again, it's frustrating for everybody. But I think it's, it's taking the path it needs to take. And thank God that it's not being rushed. And and we'll see. Now, if it comes out and it's crap, which I don't think it will be, but you know, once the shows are out there, we can judge the shows. But all this angst about just the fact that it's being delayed, they're pouring money into it. They've staked the reputation of this new entity of CBS, and Les Moonves keeps keeps talking about it. So, um, you know, there's a lot at stake, and they do not want to shortchange it or cheapen it. And if if the if the least thing that happens is it's delayed. That's an easy, you know. Five years from now, no one will care. It's like everything else. We look right. back now; it's history. When you're in the moment of the writer's strike before the second season of Next Generation, it's oh my god. Or when they're shipping the prints for the motion picture out wet, <laughs> you know. Yeah. In the moment, those are huge things. Five years from then, ten years, twenty years, nobody cares except as oh, because it's quaint history. 
So, you know, we'll be there soon enough. Yep, absolutely. Could you imagine if all we had was one year of the next generation? What? How well, that would right. have gone down in the history book? Well, yeah. Right. Oh, my God. What the, yeah. Well, here's something crazy. I just heard this crazy rumor that before Voyager aired, they recast the lead. I know. I heard that somewhere. <laughs> I mean, when you think about things like that now that we just go, oh, this is jolly history. And so, oh, I remember that. You know, um, I faxed in telling them they should, they should, they'd better go ahead and keep hiring a woman captain, like they pro- promised. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, when you put when you put today's layer of reality, you know, fan interaction, social media, and, and the twenty four seven storm and drang going up against things that we know have happened in the past, it just it, your head would explode. Would Star Trek have ever survived? Sometimes along the way, when the commit, when the corporate commitment, when the dollars and cents suit commitment wasn't as strong. You know, in the dicey movie years. Oh, yeah. And the launch Next Generation. Maybe the commitment wasn't as strong, and maybe a storm a, a storm on today's technology would have would have sunk it. Mm-hmm. Well, and I always think, because, you know, shows now don't get the chance that they used to to get on their feet and get seen. And yeah. if, if Next Gen launched today on TV as a syndicated show, we would have probably had 13 episodes, and that was it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm hoping that they take their time, they do it right, and we get a chance to see it done. First off, they're pioneering a new method of distribution for this show, just like Next Gen did. Yes, exactly. So I'm hoping, you know, I'd rather see Star Trek right and late than fast and shitty, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that, yes, because that, you know, as a comeback, that wouldn't make much of a film franchise. The fast and the shitty. Exactly. Yeah. But I would see a Western called that. (laughs) I would. My my mind just, yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, yeah, not at the end of the show. You're trying to wrap up. Not to keep going here. <laughs> I got to bring you on once a quarter or something because we just kind of keep rolling here. Um, let's see. So, Larry, you've got a bunch of appearances coming up this uh, well late spring going into summer. Where are you going to be? Where can people see you? Yeah, well, I we're we're trying to spend some time on the dock here, so I'm a little lighter than it. Well, last year was a crazy year, but so I'm going to be back home at SoonerCon in Oklahoma City, uh, June 23rd, 25th, and among the guests, Todd is. Todd's going to be with me there, Todd Hapercorn. Oh, nice. Um, and then, uh, was, oh, yeah, then ModestoCon. I think we may actually cross paths. I think we may. Uh, I'm going to have to bring my seller, is, my seller cartography book and get that signed. I think that's a date. Yeah. Uh, that's July 7th the 9th, the weekend after the 4th at Modesto, which I'm excited. I haven't been up really. I've only been to like the Sacramento, greater central state area once. So they've been very nice to reach out and have me come up. Um, we'll be talking about all this stuff then. And um, then Comic-Con San Diego, I'll be doing something, hopefully a panel and having a, a signing table and who knows what by then. Um, and then Trek Vegas is coming up. And this is the – oh, I, I meant to say, if anyone's going to Vegas that's listening to you uh, and you want to taste – this is not the year we do the big L.A. to Vegas film site tour with Geek Nation Tours with my friend Terrace. We do those every other year. We did have the big one last year. But this year we do have a one-day tour uh, the day before, on the Tuesday before the Wednesday opening. We go out. I call it the Kirk Memorial Tour, but it's the Valley of Fire uh, an hour northeast of Vegas um, up I-15. So if you're interested in that, look at um, Geek Nation Tours, the Valley of Fire Tour. It's a one-day if you're going to uh, to Vegas anyway. And then uh, then after that, uh, in September, I'm going to be at a fun little thing called Sputnik Fest in Minnewauk, uh, Wisconsin. 
which is uh, a wacky thing. And then, um, what is this? Oh, and then uh, Salt Lake Comic Con in September. And uh, oh, I, I'm sorry, I skipped over this. In the middle of August, a week after Vegas, I'm doing a library tour around Greater Detroit, Michigan again. Um, it's just speaking in libraries uh, every night and uh, bringing some goodies with me. And uh, kind of doing a modified convention show for a library crowd in a mainstream. I, I aimed it for mainstream last year. I did this uh, in October last year, and I thought I'd better aim it for mainstream. And it was all the Trek fans that showed up, so I didn't have to dumb anything down. <laughs> Excuse me, not dumb it down, mainstream it. I didn't have to mainstream it there you at go. all, so, which was funny. So uh, I, I'll have those on my you – know, LarryNimichek.com. I'll have that if you're in the greater Detroit area and want to see that coming out uh, mid, mid-August. But yeah, and then in September, Sputnik Fest in uh, Wisconsin and Salt Lake Comic Con. And uh, supposedly now, I fi- I've never done one of the little ones, but um, uh, the uh, Star Trek uh, San Francisco's creation show in uh, October, October 14th and 15th. Now, I've heard that's a pretty good show. I was actually, I went to ModestoCon last year, and it was its first year. And I, the guys who put it together, I'm assuming it's all still the same people, did a bang-up job. They even had Sam Jones from Flash Gordon there last year. It's up, yeah, and they've got some more. Uh, it's growing, and mm. they had it was, there were several tens of thousands of people there. So it's it was a big hit, and they're back. And um, they didn't blink twice about having me come up. So, uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And, again, I haven't been at that, that part of the state, but I'm really looking forward to a, a good fan run. You know, energy, and even though it's a comic con, and there'll be all kinds of niches there, I'll be repping uh, Trek, and there's a lot of Trek folk. Oh yeah, we got a lot of Trekkies here. We got a lot of uh, fan groups here too. And I'm really looking forward to hooking up with them. Yeah, I, like I said, I haven't been up there. And I was going to say, and to be fair, to really be from Norman, Oklahoma, you have to end up in California Central Valley at some point. <laughs> That's right. Well, I've been up through part through the Central Valley, yeah. but yeah, I'll bring my, I'll dab myself in some oil and. Put my, put my draw back on. We'll see how we're doing. Exactly. I'll, 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 uh, I'll tell you what. People still use Oki as an insult here sometimes, and I do bristle when it happens. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I'll wear it proudly. We'll see what yeah. kind of... We'll see what kind of ruckus we can start a stare up there. Exactly. All right, guys. So, yeah, if you get a chance, go check Larry out. Um, do get over and check out... I mean, I guess uh, LarryNemichek.com com is probably the easiest way to find you and check out portal 47 yep yep you can go to portal 47.net if you want to go right to it okay and i will put that in the show notes when we release this so hopefully if you hear it here but forget to look it up go check out the website and go check larry out uh if you do get a chance look at stellar cartography if you're a trek fan you're gonna love it it's really amazing uh, and I think Amazon's been running specials on it too. So it's ch- been on this like uh, two week, three week sale. Yeah. So ch- I don't know. Maybe there, maybe it's going to scope out. Is Amazon does books differently than than the regular publishers did, like Pocket Books. Yeah. So I'm not up to date on the news, but I was going to say too, Trekland blog is where my blog is. My whole site just got redesigned last year, and I've did a slew of videos, uh, vid chats here recently. I did. Uh, Mike Westmore had a museum, uh, which is now closed, a museum ex- exhibit at his alma mater, UC Santa Barbara. And there's three video visits touring his exhibit. And I did an interview with Rekha Sharma, the lovely Rekha Sharma, who's now um, going to be one of the – she was just announced in the cast for Discovery. But she was on the most, re- or, uh, the most recent Star Trek Continues released as the guest star. Oh, and, very uh, nice. My video interview with her wearing a blue sciences dress – uh, 
has like taken off like a rocket. So, did which shows you the power of having a beautiful woman on your avatar for your video. <laughs> I, I was just gonna say, did did you blush a little bit when you said that? <laughs> no, I'm a proud marketer. What do you mean? <laughs> That's called stumbling into something great. Fantastic. Although, uh, yeah. Anyway, so I, there's been a slew of videos put up there too. Noel Hamilton, who was the first Vulcan woman on Earth. <laughs> I put up for Happy First Contact Day. Uh, she was the woman Vulcan in First Contact that was in behind uh, the first Vulcan ambassador that walked off the, the, the Planaha. Anyway, there's a lot of fun stuff at my blog, too, so check that out. Well, that is fantastic. Larry, thank you for coming on. I always love talking to you. Okay. And, Larry, if people want to find you on social media, where can they dig you up at? Yeah, well, besides all the websites, uh, at Larry Nemechek on Twitter and Larry Nemechek's Trekland on Facebook and now on Instagram. Fantastic. So everybody go <laughs> go look him up there as well. Jeremy, I know we always push the uh, the clock, but uh, but you, you asked for some of it. Oh, but, I, uh, I, 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 there's no shame in my game. I, I know I encourage all this talking. It's not a big deal. <laughs> no, thanks. But thanks for having me on again and updating. And, hey, I'm, it's going to be fun to see you at uh, Modesto. Con. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, yeah, so, I mean, if you're in the Modesto area and it's July 7th through 9th, right? Yeah, I'm right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'll, you know, I'll be there with a press pass. I got a table last year. I don't think I'm going to do that again. <laughs> but there's a lot of cool stuff. <laughs> Uh, Larry, thank you again for coming on. Everybody else, you can catch us at geekishcast.com. I'm on Facebook at facebook.com slash geekishcast. I tweet from at the geekishcast. We are on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Spreaker, Stitcher. Anywhere you can find, listen, or steal a podcast, you can find us. Take care, everybody. Trek well. Geekish Cast is a Vias and Victor production and is part of the Astro Panda Productions Network. You can find us now on SoundCloud and on Blog Talk Radio. Our theme music is taken from the song Out to Get Mine by Reign of Zaius. Check them out at reignofzaius.net.